0: Hi, welcome to the first episode of the Pulse of America podcast. I'm your host, Minor Khan. I'm a junior from Austin, Texas, and in this podcast, my guests and I will be summarizing global events and news, as well as providing an adolescent point of view into what's currently going on in our world right now. There aren't that many podcasts ran by teenagers. I'm a 16-year-old in my junior year of high school. So in the Pulse of America podcast, you can find a unique perspective and commentary on things. This podcast can be found on bit.ly slash pulmodaily, which is a medical blog I run, and eventually on streaming platforms in, such as iTunes and Spotify. My first guest is my good friend and academic prodigy Soham Govande. Soham? Hey,
1: Miner. Thanks for inviting me on today. So I'm also a sophomore at Round Drive High School, which is the school we go to, and I'm really passionate about the field of public health, and I was really excited when Miner invited me on to be on this podcast and discuss about the current world situation and coronavirus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I also run a blog related to the field of medicine and anthropology, and I'm also involved in clubs like Policy Debate and Model United Nations. Mm-hmm. And I'm really
0: excited to be here today and speak about what's, what's been going on. Yeah, just to give a backstory to myself, uh, I'm very passionate about medicine, public health as a whole as well. I want to go into pulmonology and be a pulmonologist. So today we're here to talk about coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, you are either affected by it or you know about this global pandemic that is currently going on. So, here's a little backstory. Uh, Coronavirus are a group of viruses that affect both humans and animals. Although the new strain, which is called SARS-CoV-2, or COVID-19, has seemingly incited panic overnight in America, it is not a new issue. Uh, For example, SARS-CoV, which was a strain of coronavirus that rapidly spread in 2002. Um, although this information can be truly not be truly, truly verified yet, many scientists believe that the origin of the strain is in a wet market that sells live animals in Wuhan, Hubei, China. Coronavirus is something that so, usually spreads from animal to animal, so it can be inferred that in this wet rocket, the zoonotic disease crossed over from animal to human through some sort of interaction between a sick pangolin, which is a Chinese anteater like animal held in the market, and a human. Uh, Han. As you probably know, uh, President Trump has referred to coronavirus as the Chinese virus. What do you think about that?
1: I think that the president's rhetoric toward coronavirus, it should be less about trying to like label the virus as a Chinese virus as compared to trying to mount an effective response from the United States. For example, uh, I read recently that the United States declined an offer from Germany to accept a a significant quantity of testing kits and I was kind of discouraged by that because I felt that as the President of the United States he has the responsibility to care for every single American out there and if he's trying to profit by selling his own testing kits then that's not in the best interest of the people of this country Mm -hmm. and yeah and I'd also like to touch a little bit about the statistics and how fast this virus has grown as of lately so currently on March 29th we're looking at 37,815 deaths from coronavirus and 800, sorry, 785,777 confirmed cases. And these are just the cases that we know about. Mm, that's
0: so, that's some, yeah. That's something also that I thought was very interesting is that when we talk about these statistics, especially in America, we don't really know how like the brevity of what's going on. And that's something that I touched base on my blog earlier. And I thought it was really important that, that why, why testing is so important, that's why everybody's so focused on that. Is because if we have inaccurate numbers, if we have numbers that are less than actuality, which we probably do have given the lack of testing we have in this country, we're really like taking a shot in the dark regarding action. For example, I think I made this example. Uh, there's around what, 33,000, or not, there's around uh, 142,000 cases of coronavirus in America. If that number is under, what is, like, actually the actual number and say it's around 200,000, I mean, we're in, like, a whole lot of trouble that we don't even know about, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. And recently, the director of the National Institutes for Allergy and Infectious Disease, Dr. Anthony Fushi, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last name, I apologize, but mm-hmm. he came out with uh, his opinion, his professional opinion, that he believes that approximately 100,000 people in the United States will die. And... I thought this was pretty interesting because in the United States, many people or at least the people at the top, they tout our healthcare system is one of the top ones in the world that can provide healthcare to everybody who needs it. And because of high healthcare prices, they're supposed to be able to sustain this system. But something that I find interesting is that when this system is put under pressure, we aren't able to provide for the people who need it the most. And what we're seeing happening is that People aren't able to access ICU beds. People aren't able to give the care, or sorry, doctors aren't able to give the care that they need to their patients. And mm-hmm. I think we're entering kind of like a really dangerous zone because China was kind of able to limit the coronavirus spread before it ever got to like a hundred thousand cases. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, we're
0: finding that particularly difficult. Yeah, it's I thought I thought it's kind of sad because when we saw, it's kind of we can see the different stages of it. We we saw what's happening in Italy, and for the whole like a whole span of weeks, we kept saying, okay, Italy's example will not to do. We cannot we can go down that path. But if you look at like the, the chart of countries around the world, we are going down the exact path Italy's doing. And what in Italy right now, doctors are choosing who to give ventilators, who not to. But, like their healthcare system is buckling under this pressure, and it fe- seems like that's going to happen in our country as well, unless drastic change is going to be implemented right now. Uh, something else I kind of noticed about our whole response to it was kind of like the nonchalantness from the American public regarding this virus. Like, for example, we're both teenagers. Uh, I've seen so many of my peers, so many people I know, just not caring about what's going on. They still go outside, talk to their friends, go on vacation. Uh, why do you think, Soham, that people are doing this even though this virus is so awfully serious? Mm hmm.
1: I think that's a really great question you bring up, Minor. because as America, ever since we've been children, we've always been taught to be free, to be independent. And when we hear about something like this, a coronavirus, our first reaction is to try to dismiss it, right? Because nothing can truly disturb us because we're living in the number one country in the whole world. So we kind of grew up with that mentality where we felt that nothing would be able to sort of impact us. And now we're seeing that the coronavirus, it affects people who are rich, it affects people who are poor, it affects every single race, every single ethnicity. We're seeing that we really aren't, uh, aren't that advanced in being able to combat these unforeseen circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is, I guess there is a multitude of factors that are responsible for that. But one of them that I thought was particularly interesting was that because China has kind of like an authoritarian government it's really able to regulate its response to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And one example of this is how they were able to put infrared thermometers at pretty much every grocery store and every street corner to make sure that the people who were in public spaces weren't the same people who were sick. And I think that strategy almost kind of worked. And also they had drones patrolling the streets. And in America, if you imagine like drones patrolling your streets to make sure you're not awake after nine, like, we can't imagine something yeah. like that. Yeah. One thing I,
0: like, I saw this one thing. It was, like, you can either live in total security or total freedom, but you can only choose one of those two. And obviously, China chose to pick total security. We chose to do the latter. Maybe this is how our country's been comprised of this whole history. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting to see how this, like, our whole philosophy regarding freedom and all that has kind of really caused, like, a, a hard strain on, well, not just us, but Western Europe as a whole. It's going to get worse. It's getting worse in Spain, Italy, America exactly. than it is in China, which you can probably attest to the governmental action.
1: Exactly. It's the idea of: Do you want to be a fish living in a fish tank, or do you want to do you want to be a fish living in the ocean? Like, although we do enjoy like much more freedom and much more, yeah, much more freedom and much more rights than the people do in China, we also have the added responsibilities that come with those rights, and a part of that responsibility is recognizing when when there is a broader society that we need to contribute to, rather than prioritizing, let's say, our sense of freedom or our traditional sense of belief, I think it's important that we prioritize the well-being of the entire society when we're thinking about coronavirus.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think another factor that I guess we don't really want to address regarding to our failure to adapt to this is, I guess, our 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 false sense of superiority that this won't affect us not even just, like, our country, but even regarding, like, generations. Like, I know I know. I thought that there's no way, like, I was even, like, in February when, I guess, was a peak in China, like, this didn't even cross my mind. We thought it was some sort of abstract concept. I remember in chemistry the last day before Spring Break, me and Soham were both in the same chemistry class. And when we were talking about, like, the possibility of school getting canceled, like, that was such an absurd thing to even think about. And now our school's canceled, we're doing online school. So many people in America think, okay, this isn't, like, for, for really no reason, uh, oh, this won't affect us. I guess we think we're better. But obviously that's not true. And people still continue to think that this will affect us until it actually affects the person you love or maybe you.
1: Definitely. And I think that this kind of general apathy that you're describing isn't necessarily limited to the general public. But unfortunately, we're seeing that up in higher level chains of command as well. Okay. Like, earlier we were talking about our president, and
0: it's also from, like,
1: the other, like, other government officials who
0: necessarily aren't trying to, like, do everything they can. Mm-hmm. And that kind of seg- segues into my next question for you is, uh, what do you think this pandemic has revealed about our country and the way it functions?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. I think this pandemic is kind of bringing us to believe, or I guess bringing us to realize that. Although we may like stand behind our, in, our uh, shield of like the industrial revolution, the revolution of medicine, all the great technological advancements that our society enjoys today, at the end we're just we're the same humans that were around forty thousand years ago. When it comes to natural threats like this, mm-hmm. like there's not much that we can do other than maybe wait two years for a vaccine to come out. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of humbling to see like the raw power of Mother Nature. I guess if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think? our administration has responded to this as a whole. That's a,
1: yeah, to be honest, I'm not that supportive of the current administration's response to coronavirus. In fact, I brought up the example earlier of the administration's uh, lack of purchase of testing kits from Germany, Mm -hmm. but also I've, I've been reading the news recently and I feel that there's many more steps that the Trump administration needs to take. For example, just last week, Mr. Trump came out with a tweet saying that he wants to get America's businesses started by Easter, mm-hmm. and I think it's important that all of us kind of uh, have solidarity during this period instead of just trying to like revamp businesses yeah. trying to go for yeah. profit. And that, I think it's really important. Yeah, and that yeah, felt sorry.
0: like a, that felt like an arbitrary day to me. Like I felt like there was no reasoning behind that other than just Easter Sunday. Like. Mm-hmm. I, this is this in a lot of things and I don't want to get into the politics and that, but it's like, we're right in this specific situation. It feels like at least a lot of like the speaking points of our administration aren't really backed up by anything outside, just like personal opinion. When we say, Oh, it's under control. Oh, we should get it back by Easter. I mean, like it, it's kind of disheartening. And I've seen a lot of so many, like in these famous press briefings that the president and his team does, On like CNN, Fox News gets all these super high ratings. But I've seen so many articles when uh, like Rachel Maddow was talking about maybe not even record show this to the people because so many things are misleading, such as the Easter deadline, things such as we'll talk about later, such as uh, the probable medicine we can use against it. It's detrimental to the public and it's just misleading the public as a whole.
1: Definitely, I think that we need to stop thinking of coronavirus or at least the government officials, they should stop thinking of coronavirus as maybe like the next big profit margin for their healthcare company versus like saving the lives of 350 million people in the greatest country in the world. I think we need to kind of reorient our perspective
0: for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And one person who's been in the news a lot, especially recently is Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, just, I just want to ask you what your general opinions are on Dr. Fauci. I think Dr. Fauci,
1: I'm not too uh, well informed about it, about him. However, I have uh, seen a couple of his news clips. And what I've seen is that although he does hold like a very high position in the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease, I found that more often than not, he's defending the Trump administration's response, no matter if that might be the correct response or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how I feel about
0: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like. I feel like I trust, uh, like I trust what he says a lot. But I feel like a lot of times he's having to, def- he has to defend. They put out a solution that he has to defend that instead of having a defendable solution in the first place. I feel like I, I kind of feel bad for him. Like he's playing goalkeeper exactly. to some ill-advised decisions.
1: Um, because like these top admin- these top uh, campaign officials and these high-ranking officials, they're not necessarily like true believers of this, I guess, tenet it's more that they've just been placed in an awkward situation and they're trying to make the best what they can of it mm-hmm. if that kind of makes sense
0: mm-hmm. okay and we're gonna take a quick break from this great discussion and go and thank our sponsors uh first Carter or uh Sohan, would you like to talk about this sponsor mm-hmm. carter is an advanced
1: next generation debate evidence collector app which is freely available to the public. Have you ever felt that the process for cutting debate evidence is too time-consuming and too long? Well, if you've ever felt this way, Carter is here to save you. Just go to carter.x10.bz, C-A-R-D-R, and you can
0: download the tool for free. Mm Thank you. Yeah, and I'd just like to give a quick shout out to Pulmo Daily. Um, If you're watching this, you're probably accessing it through Pulmo Daily. Uh, it's a quick pulmonology and global health blog as a whole. Uh, we try to give concise facts about global events such as coronavirus or even just bring light to practices such as bronchoscopies or other lung related practices. Uh, you can access all our uh, blog posts on bit.ly slash pulmodaily or follow us, pulmodaily, on Instagram. Okay. So, uh, something I really wanted to bring up is, I guess, what's happening next in the medicine field regarding this. We talked a lot about politics. Let's talk about medicine. So, um, doctors are looking for two uh, med- medicinal aid and two drugs that have been flooded by Donald Trump are chloroquine and remdesivir. Uh, so, Ham, do you want to? I know you did some research on remdesivir. Do you want to talk about what that basically like what that means and what it entails? Yeah,
1: sure. So, remdesivir is a cl- is a Drug created by Gilead Sciences in uh, the year 2010, I believe, and it was created originally with the intent to fight a wide variety of viruses, including previous coronaviruses. Remember, like coronavirus isn't just like one coronavirus; it's a Mm. whole family of viruses. Mm -hmm. So, it was created to fight previous coronaviruses, the Ebola pandemic, and uh, other other like very bad illnesses that were going on, and the way remdesivir functions is it actually impairs the virus's ability to replicate. And because this feature, or I guess this mechanism is very commonly found across, uh, uh, sorry, because this is found across a wide family of viruses, it's able to be very effective against a wide range of viruses. And although we have yet to see successful results in the case of coronavirus, I think there's a very compelling case to be made, that this could be the future of our
0: response to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's like a topic that was kind of hard to grasp for us is that stuff like this, like remdesivir and I'll be talking about chloroquine later. I mean, it's going to take weeks if not months to like, I guess get an approval and like a for sure safety stamp on these drugs. And we want everything to happen now, but I guess it's like, it's, it's going to be pretty tough to get this stuff approved. And a big problem is that we use anecdotal evidence to say, Oh, this one case, this person got cured from coronavirus with remde- remdesivir. We got to put it out to the public, but that's just, it's just dangerous if we do that, like something like that. We got to use statistical evidence at random sampling instead of anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see the next results for remdesivir in the next few weeks. I heard about the ongoing clinical trials, and they're going to have those patients report back and see whether their symptoms have been uh, significantly alleviated by remdesivir. And I think that's a really exciting possibility.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: However, one concern I have been having is that recently we were talking about the healthcare industry. And I just hope that remdesivir and chloroquine aren't just exploited by the healthcare industry officials as tools to make a profit. And instead, we should be trying to focus these as uh, kind of as ethically as we can to help the most people that we can. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the healthcare industry in general about these like the manufacturing of these drugs i
0: guess Mm -hmm. so i think we've seen time and time again drugs such as um like certain like so many drugs have been taken by a healthcare industry and exploited for profit um if you look at drugs for diabetes other diseases i mean they're taken. the their prices are so high that people have to leave our country for medical tourism which i think is such an unfathomable thing that the richest country in the world has that people leave other our country just to get treated I feel like our healthier industry really like severely needs regulation. Because I feel like when they're left rung, left to rung a moke, they're overcharging consumers and they're just exploiting them exploiting such a uh such these extenuating circumstances for a quick buck and I do agree with you i hope I really hope this is distributed freely and not as some sort of drug that people have to pay for when we know that so many poor people cannot afford the drug as it is right now. We know that test we know testing right now is so severely. Under distributed, and this going to happen the same with Remdesivir if it is a, um, if we do, we if we are able to distribute this widely. Well, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the most important aspect we need to focus on is, in addition to whether the drug actually works, whether we can get it out to people in time, because get, being able to, I guess, get the drug out to people and actual, like people who are at a high risk of getting a severe illness, is the true test of our healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. So, I think remdesivir actually offers a lot of potential in the former deba- or in the former challenge that I mentioned, of trying to, of trying to, actually be successful in, in mitigating coronavirus. Because I read online that it's been successful in curing SARS-CoV-1 as well as MERS-CoV, and these are other coronaviruses in that same family. So I think there is a lot of hope to be had, and we'll just hope for the best as we get those results from those medical trials.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and I looked into another drug that uh, that uh, has been floated a lot by Trump, and that was called chloroquine. So chloroquine, which is also known as chloroquine phosphate, is an anti-malarial medicine. It's used to treat malaria, obviously, and other liver infections. Uh, recently, Trump brought it up as some sort of miracle drug and tweeted about it which gave it some very widespread popularity as a potential anecdote. Uh, this led to a wide demand of the drug, which is uh, very bad for people who need it for non-COVID-19 reasons. So many, A lot of people have reported that due to this mention by Trump of chloroquine, they're not able to receive the chloroquine they need for their certain in liver infection or malaria. Uh, CDC and state authorities have warned against ingesting the drug without consent from a doctor, uh this is a problem I think we've seen with a lot of the rhetoric that surrounds it is that the fall bat, the fallout has kind of been dangerous. Uh this is seen by people misusing the drug. And as I guess an anecdote, a man in Arizona ingested a former Corquin and fish tank cleaner. Because I he heard he heard Trump tweet about it. He thought it was a good way to ward off coronavirus. He drank fish tank cleaner and he died and his wife's in critical care condition. Uh although so minor. Do you think Trump
1: should be doing a better job at watching his words? Because it seems like what you're describing is that, because of his uh, actions, then people are just buying buying out chloroquine as quickly as they can, and this causes prices to hike up as well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, in this specific example, like a lot of a lot of people on the left blame Trump for this person's death, but I think I think if you're drinking fish tank cleaner in general, like that's <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's uh, fair. you you kind of have it coming. But I think in general, what we see with Trump's words is that, I guess, I don't think he thinks twice when he says things. Yeah, that's very dangerous, especially when we were, I guess some of the main worries about Trump going into his presidency was, I guess, his un, like his lack of political correctness, say what he wants. People, people think that's a good thing. People think it's a bad thing. But I think we're seeing the, some of the negative effects by it. Because when he just mentions one thing, like the unintended consequences of people who actually need chloroquine don't have it. And because of it just, just one mention from his name, because everything he says is so distributed widespread to everybody in the country and even not from an outside the medicine point of view i mean what are you saying with the chinese virus like i understand what he's trying to say in principle but this has led to a string of anti-chinese like racial hate crimes against people in all around the country and i feel like some things he says really needs second review before he says it and i guess that, like i guess that's a really big problem in addition to the problem we're facing already because it's, it's the things he says is very unchecked and It has very poor consequences. This takes me
1: back to back in September and October of last year when we were worrying about, will Trump strike Iran? Because on his Twitter profile, Mm -hmm. he just kept on updating, like, hey, Iran, and he was, like, provoking them. And I felt that as a citizen of this country, it didn't feel as if he was, like, accurately trying to calculate everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're kind of sensing that same uncertainty now as a result of the the response which hasn't been very clear from
0: either side mm-hmm. and I, I was actually thinking about this like the double standard we have from president 44 to 45 i mean like i i so many things have been normalized in our country such as a president like tweeting just literally tweeting updates on every single situation to us like almost hourly like things like that aren't have never been like normalized in any like I guess you can call it his near fireside chats, if you want to call it that. But like, so many things have been normalized that if we, if Obama did the same thing, it would be, it wouldn't even be fathomable. And I think it's kind of the str- really strange times we're living in. When I mean, like, this is our official head of state, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, bang on Trump all that. I, I, I'm just, as in the most apologetic way I could say it, I mean, there are some negative consequences of what he's saying. I'm not trying to say he's a bad president or anything. I'm just saying what he's doing right now has like it's very unprecedented and it can be very dangerous
1: mm-hmm. i think as americans we're having a tough time trying to adapt to these new times
0: mm-hmm. so And this so one yeah. talking about oh, yeah.
1: the yeah sorry continue oh no you got it mm-hmm. so i was just going to bring up the cares act since we were on the topic of president trump the mm-hmm. coronavirus aid relief and economic security act which was recently signed into law by our president mm-hmm. and so this bill it totals in over two trillion dollars and is the largest ever economic stimulus package in the history of our country. And it amounts to ten percent of our GDP. And I wanted to hear
0: your thoughts about that. Mm-hmm.
1: About this package.
0: So I mean like I think I think it's good. I think well obviously we heard from Steve Munchin, Treasury Secretary, that unemployment can go as high as twenty percent. The stock market has cratered. Like we're really gonna be in a recession, as stated by the Fed uh, the head of the Fed recently in an interview. Uh I think it's good. Uh, I think some of the, I guess res- reservations on the left side of the aisle were that it gives too much money to corporate bailouts. Gave five hundred billion dollars to that. Uh, I I I feel like a lot. We kind of bail out the corporate companies like a little too much in our country with Wall Street. With uh, Wall Street, with GM stuff like that. But, I mean, if, and five hundred billion dollars is a lot yeah. of money to give. But I mean, I think it's good. I think the stimulus package is serviceable for. A short amount of time but i feel like a lot of people who are unemployed for an extended period amount of time because we have no idea how long this will last i mean 1200 dollars isn't going to do anything like it's pay rent for one month but after that then what you know
1: yeah definitely and i'd just like to add on a little bit to the concerns that you mentioned you had about the these corporate bailouts and the lack of regulation in which this money is going to be used for example back in the 2008 financial crisis from the housing from the housing bubble Mm-hmm. The big, the federal loan that the United States federal government gave out to these countries it was unregulated. And as a result, uh, the CEOs of these major Wall Street companies had uh, huge increases in salary. So this money wasn't actually going toward the workers that needed it the most,
0: but it was going toward the CEOs. Mm-hmm.
1: And I just wanted to point that out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like because every 10 years, our economy has a correction and we were due for correction saying how like how high our stock market was rising, how like how many jobs were created. Sooner or later, people make bad and bad decisions. Too many people invest in the stocks. I heard some. Uh, my business teacher said, if your Uber driver is telling you to invest in the stock market, it's not a good time to invest because since everybody's investing, investing, like some people are making shoddy loans, it's there's going to be a correction sooner or later. But like, in addition to what's happening in coronavirus, this like this this I guess retraction of our economy, which was going to happen coronavirus is amplified at 10 times more and we're, we're now seeing the effects of it like this has a possibility to go near great depression levels it's, it's I, I believe it will pass what's going to what happen in 2008 and this can be very bad for our country
1: definitely mm. so kind of talking on the more global scale how do you think other countries are handling
0: the coronavirus response mm-hmm. so i i think i think with a lot of other countries especially like well i, I think china I mean, obviously, we have talked about their authoritarian stances, and I mean, I think they're underreporting cases. I think they did try to report cases heavily because, I mean, their media is heavily censored. In fact, they tried uh, they tried gagging the first doctor who reported coronavirus. They tried arresting him, saying he was lying about it. So I think China. I mean, although I don't really believe the numbers, I, I think they did a good job, like I guess maintaining this stability in their country. I mean, they acted pretty rapidly building the hospitals you saw and I saw in Wuhan in like two weeks, like really unprecedented moves, like the drones you were talking about, the infrared thermometers. So I think, I I guess they did an all right job, but I still don't believe the cases where they reported Uh, in Italy. I mean, I think, I think Italy and Western Europe as a whole have like, I guess we had a superiority complex. We really didn't think that it would be as bad as it actually was. I mean, I saw something with the president, like President Italy saying it wasn't a big deal, and then handshaking all these senators, and then the senators got sick two weeks later with the coronavirus. So I feel like, in general, like a lot of Western European leaders and us, especially us, have kind of been nonchalant about it until it gets too late. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think as developed countries, we kind of have that preset attitude where, like, we feel that all of our industrial revolutions and our medical revolutions. They'll be able to protect us in times like these. But it's equally just as important to recognize our vulnerability so that we can take action
0: and prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of populist presidents, I mean, I feel like they think they have to downplay situations like this because I guess when we build our whole, our whole figure, our whole like, uh, enigma around being strong man, nothing scares us. And this can be seen in Brazil, actually, with Jair Bolsonaro. I mean, he's a populist like Trump, like Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines. He said it wasn't a big deal at all and that he gets coronavirus. You know, I feel like we're kind of forced to be to like to act like it's not a big deal when it actually is, and that's a problem we see a lot with populist leaders in Europe and in yeah, America. I think that's very problematic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess one thing I also want to bring up about the economic situation is that, I mean, with our I, it's not really a universal income, but like the payouts we do. It's kind of funny to see what well, you said earlier about this is the largest ever economic stimulus in our country ever. And it's kind of funny to see, I guess, people on both sides of the aisle kind of come together and spend unprecedented amount of, amounts of money just like for, without asking. When we're so, we're always counting pennies in Washington about how much we're we spending for welfare XYZ. I mean, we're, we just came together and spent 10 percent yeah. of our GDP, which is insane to think about. I read this
1: joke on Twitter the other day. When people need, when families need help, they call it
0: welfare. When companies need help, they call it corporate bailouts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like, and we're going to have to end up bailing out the auto, not not the airplane industry, hotel industry, stuff like, like, Boeing's, and they're asking for billions of dollars. I mean, and I know it's going to happen, you know? We were so quick to turn our backs to, like, I guess, working families to expand, Welfare, social security, but we're we're easily giving out money in foreign aid unnecessarily. We're signing bad trade deals. We're bailing out. We're going to bail out Boeing. We've bailed out GM. All these big companies, while the people who are really in charge of it, they walk away scot free.
1: Yeah, at the very least, I think that this economic aid package should be as regulated as possible, mm.
0: as tightly regulated. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, do you have anything else you want to say about coronavirus, COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so the future that we face is pretty uncertain and going on into these next few months, I think we're all facing a rocky period in our lives. And during this, I think it's especially important that we try to find solidarity within each other's and just try to uplift the members of our communities and do whatever we can in order to kind of make the world a better place during these dismal times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's all I have to say. Yeah, uh,
0: I think in times of crisis, our like, true care, car- our true, like, emotions as humans kind of get drawn out in a in a, like a more magnified way. So, like we've seen compassion companies turning their factories into suing, like suing factories for medical kits. We've seen people rally around the community. We've also seen another like human characteristic, which is, I guess this fear and I, I guess this like hatred towards one of those animosity fear for people who don't look like us, people of the nationality. We've seen that with hate crimes spiking in Chinese for Chinese Americans, and I, I just allude to your point. It's so important that we unite as a country and not divide, because that would be terrible. And one other thing I wanted to talk about, I guess this is like a plea to people, is socially distancing. Uh, stay at home if you're, if it's possible. This means cancelling stuff, talking to friends virtually, and making radical changes to your life. This is some, one of the few things we can do as everyday Americans to flatten the curve. I mean, if we refuse to look at countries like Italy, or even well, it's, we can't even t- say that now because we are going to be like Italy. <laughs> but, like, if we want to, 100,000 deaths is a good outlook, as said by Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci. We can't have that number climb to more than it is. Like, make no mistake about it. COVID-19 is one of the most pressing issues of our time. And going on with life normally is dangerous. So not socially distancing literally kills people, not just you, but the people you love, the people who they are interacting with. I mean, and also, like, we've seen what's happening with our healthcare industry. Doctors are working 20 hours, like, 20 hours a day. Our healthcare professionals are are being taxed mentally and physically. As non-healthcare professionals, we owe a debt to them. You know, they stay at work for us, so we stay at home for them. So I'd just like to say to anybody who's listening to this, please socially distance. Please stay home and stay safe, wash your hands, and sanitize Mm -hmm. all the time.
1: Currently, only 90% of Americans are socially distancing this is a self-reported poll but i think at, le- at the very least we should have like 95 or like maybe 98 or 99 percent of americans who
0: are socially distancing because
1: it's the least that we can do in order to protect the other
0: members of our society Mm-hmm. yeah totally agree so uh thanks soham for a really fruitful discussion of covid19 uh, you're welcome to come back anytime uh be sure to check out uh carter on in soham you want to uh, shout out the link again Mm-hmm. You just go to cardr.x10.bz. Mm-hmm. And
1: thank you for inviting me onto this podcast, Miner. It was really great to come here and discuss our ideas about
0: COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Soham, and thank you for everyone listening. Uh, if you have any questions or ideas, please DM PulmoDaily or contact me, miner234 at gmail.com. And, yeah, thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you in a bit.